Good morning to all of you guys at home. It, it needs to be said every week that we miss you guys terribly. Cannot wait to be together. I want to open this a little bit differently, but I need everybody's attention. I don't know if we've lived through a time that's had more noise and differences. I think all of us live lives that we're trying to uh, mentally multitask a lot. So even when we're not in a place that's different for us or unusual, we are thinking through some things. Pondering thoughts that maybe aren't normally things that we're pondering. But right now, and even if you're at home right now, I know this is a challenge for you at home, and as a matter of fact, it's, it's one of the things I want to encourage us about. It's something about stepping away from wherever you are and being in the presence of God. That does require you to step away from wherever you are. When you look at things in Scripture, there are people who meet with God that don't seem to be on their way to work. Having a moment thought in the shower. No, no, they've gotten away with God. They have quieted their souls and they have become mindful of the presence of God and something profound happens in their lives. And and I got to be honest, I know I've watched from home, although I've watched recordings from home. It's not the same. So if you guys are at home, you're watching right now, just what I want us to do is I want us to become mindful of the presence of God. So what do you got? I don't know what you got to do. You got to get everybody settled in the room that you're in. Tune some things down. But for you guys that are here, you can be here and you're not right here yet, are you? And you'd be somewhere else besides right here. Your thoughts are not yet here. Your affections are not yet in this room. We're going to sing in a minute. What if you left your affections at home? You're not going to sing well. Your hopes might not be in this room. If that's the case, you're going to walk through a whole time of being in the presence of God with your hope about something else. So what I want us to do right now, I want us just to to collect those things into the room with us. Your thoughts and your affections and your hopes. I want us to be mindful of the presence of God. So let's let's turn to God in prayer. If you need to kneel in your chair, whatever you need to do, you've got to get in a different posture. Do something that puts you in this place. You guys are at home. may feel weird. Kneel in the chair that you're sitting in. Kneel at your sofa there. Just let's turn our hearts to God. What your word says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord, I don't want to overlook the obvious. That verse highlights a reality. That there is a place known as in your presence and at your right hand. God, my life doesn't always feel like I'm in your presence or at your right hand. But there is such a place. I want to be in that place. I want to be in that place right here, right now, this morning. I want to be mindful of The king of the universe, I am in his presence. How humbling. 
Whatever issues were agitating me, whatever issues were annoying me on the way in here, I'm in the presence of the King of glory, full of power and greatness. Lord, I I need to be aware of your greatness this morning because other things have become too great in my life. I need the scale that comes from your greatness. Lord, I need to be near to you. My soul cries for you, for the living God. God, would you be in our midst today? Would you capture our thoughts? Would you bring our affections here and let us spend them on you? Lord, I don't know why we came today, what we were after and what was our purpose. But we have been created for you. Our lives are for you. So God, we are here to acknowledge the rightful place of your glorious lordship over our lives, over all that we are. Lord, I know there are some here this morning, maybe at home as well. Lord, right now, life doesn't seem to be fullness of joy. There's something about your presence and the restoration of joy. God, I pray that for us today. The things that are killing our joy. God, that your presence would be so powerfully made known to us that we would find joy returning into our souls, even as we're singing this morning. So God, as we draw near to you, you have promised you'll draw near to us. So Lord, with all that we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we draw near to you in this place this morning. Oh God, now draw near to us. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Oh 
Your grace has covered all we see, and you have promised not to leave. Thank you, Lord. You freely give your spirit to warn us, so we can be sure we're sons of God, and rest in the hope of what's to come. Fill our lives, we're confident, we're heirs with Christ, and so we cry, Abba Father. The sufferings may fill our lives, we're confident, we're heirs with Christ, and so we cry, Abba Father. Send his only son to come and rescue us. Confident, we're heirs with Christ, and so we cry, Abba Father. Sing that again. Those sufferings, those sufferings may fill our lives. We're confident, we're heirs with Christ, and so we cry, Abba Father. How wonderful the Father's love. Father's love for us. He would give His only Son to come and rescue us. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now, will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. Thank you for your love, Lord, sustaining love. 
love that will not let us go, love that holds us fast. glorious flow you are 
Let me ask you to go ahead and take your seats. The theme of our worship services over the past couple of weeks has been love. We've been visiting 1 Corinthians 13 and learning what scripture would define love to be. I wanted to read a passage in another one of Paul's letters. The book of Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Paul writes... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I wanted to show us how even this moment of tithes and offerings relate to not just God's love for us, but our love for Him. Last week, Pastor Keith gave us a very very helpful analogy to understand how to understand God's nature. And Keith, it was so good, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and steal it from you and use it. Um, he said that a helpful way to understand God's nature is to remember that all of God's attributes, his love, his mercy, his justice, his holiness, they all operate together all the time. So he asked us to think of God's nature as a bicycle wheel. Each attribute of God is a spoke in that wheel. So every action of God corresponding to every turn of the wheel includes every attribute. God is always love. Everything he does is always loving, is always merciful, is always just, is always holy. Well, the Apostle Paul is doing something similar in this passage. He's, he tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That, that, that action, present, presenting our bodies, is worship. And that is the way we show God that we love Him. And so we show our love to God by presenting all of us. Every bit of us. Every idea, every intent of our hearts, every action... That is a presentation of worship, and that is how we show him we love him. And that's the worship that God accepts. So we show God we love him by not restricting anything of ourselves to his loving rule over us. So think about it. Our love for God is like that bicycle wheel. It includes everything we do. Of course, God loves that we sing to him, but that's not the only love he wants us to show him. Of course, God loves that we read the Bible and we pray, but that's not the only way God wants us to show him we love him. God desires to see us love him by giving of our voices, giving of our hearts, giving of our mind and our intellect, but also the giving of our resources, of our time, of our money, of what we have earned. 
And this moment, this moment of giving our tithes and offerings is an opportunity for you to do just that. To show your loving God your love for him. So let's pray together with this in mind. Father, you have always loved us. Your love for your people, O oh Lord, has never grown because it's never needed to. It's been perfect. Thank you, Lord, for loving us in spite of our faltering love. In spite of our misplaced love. In spite of us not knowing how to love you, Lord, you love us fully. So, Lord, receive now our tithes and our offerings as we show you our love in these small gifts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, church, if you are here physically, you could use the offering boxes in the back, or there's a number of other ways you could... Give your tithes and our offerings through our website, our mobile app, bill pay pay through your bank, and you can always mail a check to the church. Well, good morning, folks. My name is Ronald. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I just got one quick announcement for you, uh, and this is uh, an announcement for all three sections of our church. We have one new section joining us this Sunday, so we have everyone gathered here in our auditorium. We have all you lovely folks gathered at your home but that we have this really holy group that has fused both ideas of gathering here at this local assembly, but also gathering kind of at a distance. We have a group of uh, parents and with their kids in room 200. Thank you guys for making the trek to come to church with your kids and joining us in room 200. We're glad that you have joined us this Sunday morning. Um, my one announcement is this, VBS is coming up, and typically VBS stands for Vacation Bible School, but this year it's going to stand for something else. It's standing for Virtual Vacation Bible School, so there should be two VS, VVs up there. So we are coming to you folks. We are putting together a digital version of Vacation Bible School that I've, I've looked at how some of the tech guys have just spent countless hours working on this, and we are so excited at what the Lord has uh, uh, led us to do and just how exciting and fun this is going to be. So registration is online. You can go online and register for our VVBS, our virtual vacation Bible school, uh, which will be July 6th through 10th. Uh, I think that's all I have. Uh, Pastor Keith, would you come up, brother, and give us the word? Good morning. So great to see you guys. Good morning to all of you guys at home. Good morning to families who are in room 200. Thank you for joining us today, even if it was a little bit of extra effort for you to be with your kids in that setting. Grateful for you. All right, you can get out your Bible this morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We are in the famous love chapter of Scripture We are not rushing through this passage because obviously this topic is, quite honestly, it's bigger than 1 Corinthians 13. So I I think to 
only be in that setting with a, with a word that frames so much about our lives would, would not be adequate. And so we are taking our time to look at this passage. But before I read the passage that we're going to draw from this morning, I want to have a moment with Captain Obvious. Um, this is being written to a people, 1 Corinthians, who have been saved by the grace of God. Right? There's no question about these people. Are these people Christians or not? And this is a church who is filled with the Holy Spirit. So these are people who are walking with God. They clearly belong to God. And they are empowered by God's Spirit. They would be the church, perhaps in the New Testament, most famous for supernatural activity of the Spirit. So if you were in that church, you would be described as falling down on your face and saying, surely God is among you. But even with that resume... How about this thought? The Bible needs to come to people who have been saved by the grace of God and who are full of the Spirit of God and needs to explain to them what the love of God is and how to love each other. I know that's a Captain Obvious moment, right? But there's something in the simplicity of what Paul's going to say here in these next few words that almost like we could feel like we're beyond that. Like, you know, well, yeah, of course we know that. But then when we read the words here, we're going to find that we, we have a hard time interacting with and living in this, this moment with love. And obviously, Paul knew that's a challenge for believers. You don't have to be a Corinthian to have a challenge in this category. So last week, we looked at Paul's math equation of pretty much anything great about your life minus love equals nothing. And then he moves into this description of love here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse Four, where I'll start reading. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And when we read this description, love is an expression. Love is an exchange. Love is an encounter. Right? And so these, these descriptive elements, these ingredients... These things that we encounter. How do I know if I'm encountering love and giving love? Well, it has these kinds of qualities in it. And remember, this verse is Paul speaking to the church, to local churches, to settings like ours. I do want to transfer this into whatever setting you have human beings in your life. So if you're a married couple, if you're caring for your family, whatever your setting is, you're at work. But this is a verse primarily that's directed to the body of Christ. So it is speaking to them about how to be the church. And you know, and as I've said this before, and I stand behind it. The thing, the greatest thing that any of us have to offer this world in moments like these crisis elements that we've been walking through, whether pandemic or race issues, is this community right here. It's the greatest thing we have to offer this world. 
is that God has interrupted the human story and has given us a pretaste of heaven in this community right here. We are the people who stand and live our lives out of the understanding that, God, we're praying that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. We know there's a kingdom in heaven. We know there's a purpose of God in heaven, and we ask for it to be among us. This is where redemption finds its clearest moments on planet earth. So, so don't for a second make the mistake in all the noise that's out there of thinking there's some better solution for this world than who we are to each other and therefore to the world. There's a place in here that you can come into from out there. It ought to smell like these words. How many of you guys know you have a house odor in your house? Yeah, the truth is you only know you have, other people have house odors. You don't know you have a house odor, but you do. And this place needs to have a house odor. You walk in, it's like somebody's baking something. You, can, you walk and you smell it, and, and these words, this is what you're smelling. You smell patience, kindness. You notice the absence of envy boasting and competition. That's a good word, competition. There's a lot here. I am so tempted to run off on all kinds of things and I'm just glancing at these words. We just know you can walk in this room and you, you are going out, you're competing. You're here competing. Well, that'll change the atmosphere the second you go into competition mode, comparing who you are compared to somebody else. You walk in this setting, there should be an odor, a house odor of rejoicing and support and camaraderie. Love has this ability to experience something from God that turns me loose from having to be all bound up with you and who you are and who you're not. So therefore, if you got something to rejoice about, I don't need to compare and see, do I compare? Am I still on top? Am I still funnier, better better looking, more wealthy than than you are? Oh, okay, now I can rejoice. I don't need that. I've gotten something from God's love that has released me. I can just enter your world now and celebrate with you and be excited and be glad for you. This place should smell like a a place that's that's got stability to it. A non-volatile, enduring atmosphere should be in this place. Relationships that aren't on the verge of coming apart, blowing up. You're going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to forget to say something this morning. I'm going to say something in a way you didn't like. It'll be your last Sunday here. Can you imagine churches that are that way? That some pastor said something a little bit in the way that somebody didn't care for that or politically stepped in a pile. And this is my my last Sunday here. Uh... Are we that volatile? We're just ready to blow up over anything. How many of you guys, can you, you're a little concerned about having conversations with each other right now? Black and white. A little concerned? Is that hard? You certainly say the wrong thing, receive the wrong thing, hear the wrong thing, be offended by the wrong thing? So this, this is a place where love endures. It endures everything that tests relationship. It endures. Now listen, this is, these are great husband-wife passages, aren't they? Because you think you've got to endure something in here, just marry somebody in this room. Let's talk endurance, right? 
But love endures things. It has this ability to travel through moments in which in the natural you'd want to quit. But this is a supernatural love that's here. All right, let me walk you through something that's going to be a little interesting, fun, and awkward. I call it the gatekeeper exercise. Long before we were getting to 1 Corinthians 13, long before our world uh, presented some other challenges for us to pay attention to, um, this gatekeeper exercise has been something I've observed for years and years in the body of Christ. It's this dimension where we develop these personal categories that are very important to us personally for whatever reason. And and then if you're going to encounter grace and love from me, I'm going to need to see if you meet the criteria first. And not all the criteria that's on this checklist is on all of our lists. Maybe just a couple of them are. But they're gatekeepers. They're at the top, right? So I wrote this out. Here's your gatekeeper exercise written out in your outline there. It says, love in 1 Corinthians 13 involves some type of exchange. It involves an expressed attitude, an act of care, engagement. We don't ignore each other. A choice of sacrifice, inconvenience, a moment of kindness or gentleness. But if we're all honest, we have our own boundaries and reasons for withholding that exchange or expression. Some people may be more likely to be on the receiving end of my love than others. Right? Not everybody gets treated the same. It's as though we all have some kind of gatekeeper that people have to get past in order for them to experience this thing called love. Right? Because remember, love's an exchange. Just something that nobody comes in contact with. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is something to us. Christina Cleveland quoted in a book called The Fellowship of Difference. She said, when I first, this is, this is just so us, isn't it? When I first began walking with Christ, I felt an immediate and authentic connection with any other Christian who crossed my path. We were family. But as I walked with Jesus, somehow my growth had been coupled with increasingly stronger opinions about the right way to be a follower. I started keeping people I didn't enjoy or agree with at arm's length. I chose to build community with people with whom I could pretty much agree on everything. And that's probably not true, but they definitely agree with your gatekeeper. And so you let them in and you become kind to them and you are patient with them. But for those who don't meet your checklist, they remain at an arm's distance and you are not kind to them and you are not patient with them, right? So see if you can find your box to check on your checklist here. If you've got your handout or you're looking on the app, a little list of possibilities there. Under the heading of, you are more likely to encounter love from me if you are in my age group or generation. Right? You, your way of doing things, your way of looking at stuff, it, it, it suits my way too. So once I get around some people who don't suit my way, that's not the way, that's not how I grew up, that's not how we used to do it. That's not how we do it now. Uh... Arm's length then. You stay at arm's length. 
How about this? You're more likely to encounter love from me if you have my personality type. You're outgoing versus being quiet versus analytical versus being emotional. It's amazing how uncomfortable we can get if we're a quiet person when we get around somebody loud. They're always boisterous, a lot of energy, and we're kind of like, ooh, that's disturbing. Stay at an arm's distance. We don't get around that. And then, you know, there's the analytical, emotional difficulties, right? Those of us who are very analytical don't get all emotional about stuff, and the emotional people don't get that. Well, we don't get you either, because it looks like you make a lot of irrational decisions as far as we're concerned, but just saying... You will encounter my love from me if you are not in competition with me. Right? If you're not in my group, my, my age group, my personality type, something I'm trying to be known for. If you are the same race or ethnicity as me. Right? This, is, this is being confronted today as to whether or not we are able and willing to cross social and racial lines. Because we're different. Because we were raised different. We have different views on things. We had different experiences. Certain things get under our skin differently. If you share my political passions or views, we can size each other up. And this is going to be a fun year, isn't it? An election year. Sizing each other up, seeing where you stand on issues, seeing who, what candidate you have something to say about. And I may, I may have to keep you at a distance. I, I don't know if I'll be able to be loving and patient and kind towards you. If you share my convictions about the centrality of the family, a lot of Christians have certain doctrines that rise to the surface faster than others, and it makes sense to them that this is a priority. So in your life, this needs to be a priority for you because it's a priority for me. This is where we go to first. Right? When I pick the Bible up and read it, I find all the passages about the family first, and that's what I go to. And if you do that too, then you're going to get exposed to how loving I am. But if you're kind of one of those people who got a sloppy family, you're a little out of control, not paying attention to these things, never heard you talk about being a father or a mother ever, stay at a distance, please. You've rid your life of various fleshly vices. If you have, maybe you'll encounter my love. If your Christian maturity or sanctification is far enough along, right? it's just hard to be around people who are just real kind of fleshly and not mature. If you share my views on secular music or alcohol or entertainment, then I'll let you in. And I'll be gracious, kind, patient with you. If you're hip or cool or in, whatever those categories mean today. If you have a similar financial lifestyle as me. You know, something about just, you know, I get you, you get me. Because we kind of do life the same way. Same rhythms and patterns we travel and we live in a house that's similar. You know, I, I can lower my guard with you. I kind of know something about you. A little more current, you will more likely today encounter love from me if you agree with me about COVID masks, government overstep, and whether COVID is part of a conspiracy. You know who you are. Right? There, there's some strong feelings in that. I know I'm kind of making fun of it because I actually am restraining myself because I'd like to mock it very strongly right now. But there's these strong feelings about these masks, aren't there? And I wonder if you agree with me about that. And the government, can you imagine what the government is doing right now in our world? Listen, I don't know what your opinion is about that. Maybe you think it's overstepping. Maybe you think it's helping. But 
when that becomes a gatekeeper for you to whether or not you're going to be able to be comfortable and love and extend yourself to somebody else, that's a problem. Right? These aren't the gatekeepers God installed. You may experience love from me if you have the same definition as me about what is proper COVID care and sensitivity. Are you offended by somebody who's doing a little different than you? Going out a little more than you are. Getting around people a little more than you are. Wearing or not wearing a mask. Does that become how insensitive, how unloving? And then therefore we're not patient, we're not kind toward folks. If you are for Black Lives Matter, you can be a gatekeeper. Or if you are against Black Lives Matter, you can be a gatekeeper for you. If you share my definition of racism and who's to blame and how to fix it. These are big gatekeepers right now for us. If you are for all things Donald Trump or if you are against all things Donald Trump, that could be my gatekeeper. As soon as I pick up on what you just said, that sounded a little hostile to my man Donald. Feel the hand. Talk to the hand, buddy. I don't know if I can get around you. I know Jesus died, and I know that's big news, and there's eternity, and there's the kingdom of God, but I'm right now, this is the gatekeeper for me, man. So you may be included in the body of Christ, the shed blood of Jesus, paid for your sins. You are forgiven before God. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Talk to the hand. I can't get around you. Because these are too important, see. We're going to have a problem being the body of Christ if that's the case. Because we're called to something big and we're a diverse group of people we're supposed to be. Scott McKnight in his book about fellowship of difference, he says a recent study by a British scholar has conducted that if the Apostle Paul's house churches were composed of about 30 people, this would have been their approximate makeup. There'd be a craft worker in whose home they met along with his wife, children, a couple of male slaves, a domestic female slave, and a dependent relative. There'd be some tenants with families and slaves and dependents also living in the same home in rented rooms. Some family members of a householder who himself does not participate in the house church. A couple of slaves whose owners don't attend. Some freed slaves who do not participate in the church. A couple of homeless people. A few migrant workers renting small rooms in the home. Add to this mix some Jewish folks and perhaps an enslaved prostitute. And we see how many different tastes were in a typical house church in Rome. Men and women, citizens and freed slaves. And slaves who had no legal rights. Jews and Gentiles, people from all moral walks of life, and perhaps most notably, people from elite classes all the way down the social scale to homeless people. If you can imagine, the elite classes were taking advantage of the other ones. The patron system, you had to have connections to survive in this world. 
And so the, the guy that you're not in his network, and so you've been shunned by some things, you could show up and you're a nobody, and you're down the cast in Rome, and that guy there is part of a network that just is offensive, and you're sitting right next to him in church under the oppression of the world that he's created. He's in church with you. Do you think these folks agreed on everything? Impossible is the right answer. Were they a fellowship of difference? Yes, is the right answer. Was life together hard? Yes, again. That's the whole point of what it means to be a church. The Christian life is not just about how I am doing as an individual, but especially about how we are doing as a church and how and what I am doing in that mix of others called the church. Love is patient. Three words, that's all I'm going to do today out of that. Because that's big enough, isn't it? Love is patient. I'm not going to proceed at one word at a time in case you're wondering how long we'll be in this series. But there is something about patience that I think is massively important for us today. Patience is most, or I think I also said only required, when, when things are different than us. When people and experiences and settings are different than the ones that I've kind of built into my life. When they're not way, I don't need that way. I don't need patience. I need love to be patient when things drift away from me, when they're not constructed by me, when they're not like me. Right? I've got to be patient with people when, uh, when our pace of life is different, when our attitudes about things are different, when our communication is different, when our expectations are different. Now, love has to be patient. You do recognize if you're pulling off patience with people who don't test any of it's only patience when it requires me to adjust to others. Love is patience. It's that word interesting. Patience is akin to the word tolerance. Tolerance has built into it the idea, and I'm going to flirt with the fact that tolerance is, is up for grabs today in terms of how to define that word. But there is a moment in history where the word tolerant had to do with this patient recognition of our differences that allowed for those differences to coexist. That was a toleration in that. And that's, it's begun to mean something very different today. D.A. Carson wrote a book a few years ago called The Intolerance of Tolerance. He said something in here I want us to see clearly because it'll explain quite a bit about why it's an interesting challenge to do all this in a church. He says tolerance has become part of the Western plausibility structure. As far as I know, the expression plausibility structure, I'm going to use the word convictions for plausibility structures. It's where it was coined by sociologist Peter Berger. He uses it to refer to structures of thought widely and almost unquestioningly accepted throughout a particular culture. That's a good word for convictions. 
right? The church has convictions that are held by all of us, right? And, and these plausibility structures, they're, they're the ideas that we filter everything through. But he says something interesting after that. He says, in a highly diverse culture like America, like what dominates many nations in the Western world, the plausibility structures tend to be held with extra tenacity, almost as if people recognize that without such structures, the culture will be in danger of flying apart. So if you want to look out at the world and see why, why is there so much volatility and hostility and anger and outrage, as soon as somebody comes up with an idea that's not my idea, well, this is a bit why. Because there's, there's this sense that in a pluralized world, other ideas are going to come and replace my ideas. And I'm going to lose the, the sense of convictions about how the world should be and what's right and what's wrong. And along comes another idea. And along comes another idea. And along comes another idea. So we are going to tenaciously defend convictions by nature. This is a book full of convictions. This is what makes this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 a bit of a challenge in our midst. And then our world will make it a challenge, but I just want to point out something to all of us here. This will make 1 Corinthians 13 a challenge because it's full of convictions. Convictions that we learn to hold as a people with extra tenacity. We feel strongly about our convictions. I wrote this in your outline. This is why the church can feel so dogmatic and uncaring and insensitive. We are a conviction-driven community. We are called to believe certain things and to reject other things. So we're called to look for what we agree with and we're called to reject things that we don't agree with. Anybody seeing how this is going to be a little bit of a challenge? We're going to get exposed to ideas we see in this book. Some of us will be reading it for the first time. We haven't read the rest of the Bible, and we've made everything about that one verse. Some of us have developed a systematic theology where certain ideas are more understood than other ideas. Some of us maybe are seeing some things in the Bible exactly right. And we get among, amongst each other and we have these convictions. And this environment can become a very unfriendly, very judging feeling, very hostile, unloving feeling environment. Fact. I wish it were not the case. I wish I was going to stand here today and tell you until today, I'm going to share something so profound you will never again have a problem managing the tension between care and convictions. Not going to happen. Sorry. You are going to live in a church that has to manage the tension between care and convictions. These things are going to pull on each other. They're, they're in 1 Corinthians. Remember, I've said this over and over again. I'm going to say it over and over again. It took Paul 12 chapters to get to 1 Corinthians 13. For those of us who want to say, Paul, why are you so slow talking about love? Because you can't really understand love until you get some other things in place. 
If you run straight to love with your first grade education about eternity, God, yourself, and the world, you will end up with a very strange definition of love. So you need these other concepts in order to pull up to love and have a conversation that sounds biblical. So let's talk about managing this tension together between convictions and and care. I'm using the word care in that place of love, that it's patient and it's kind. Here's a reality. Convictions exist because Christianity is a belief system. That's what it is. Before we engage the personal living God, we have an idea that there is a God. Before we can approach him and come near to him, we have an idea that says there's sin and there's a barrier and there's a need for forgiveness and a savior must come and wipe out your sins and cleanse you so that then you can stand in the presence of this personal God. So before we get to the personal God, we have trafficked in a bunch of ideas that we either believe or reject. And if you reject them, you do not draw near to this God. If you receive them, then you do. So these convictions are pretty important, aren't they? They they bring us to God or they keep us from him. And these convictions have some edges on them. I'm going to pick up this verse because I used it last week and it's super familiar to all of us. But John 3.16 that we love to quote is a passage full of convictions. God so loved the world, right? So whether you're today right now saying, well, I'm going through a hard time. Look at what's going on around us. How could you say God loves Because this book says it. Well, I don't believe you. And I'm angry. And I disagree with you about that. Okay, we're going to have to figure out how to be patient. Because I'm going to tenaciously defend that conviction. God does love. Whether you and I can figure it all out or not. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Whoever would believe in him, as we said last week, that's a conviction. That if you believe in him, you'll have eternal life. That's an idea. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Fact, statement, true conviction. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Fact, true Conviction, tenaciously held, highly offensive. Right? When your eyes are opened by the grace of God and you see the reality of what it takes to save humanity from our sin and bring us before God who is the way God is, we get that with a hearty amen. When you have not seen that, you stare at that and you go, what the heck is up with that? So just because I don't believe, I'm going to be condemned? That's ridiculous. I don't believe that. And What's wrong with you that you do? This is a conviction that's got edges. It doesn't feel very loving to tell somebody and caring to tell somebody, if you don't believe, you will not have eternal life. You will be condemned. That's in this book. So love is patient and love is kind, but kind doesn't make that go away, does it? It doesn't sound kind. Kind in a human definition sounds like, no, everybody gets included somehow. Even if I can't explain it, it's just everybody 
That's kind. Apparently, Paul knew this verse to be true and still said, love is kind. And remember last week, so critical, God is love. I may not fully get this, but I don't know enough to invent something better than it. There's exclusive statements in the gospel about Jesus. John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, right? So you're going to have to believe and you have to believe something specific. You can't make up what you'd like to believe. You can't make up some vague concept of God. I believe in a higher power. No, 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 no. Jesus said, unless you believe who I am, where I come from, what I'm made of, unless you believe that I am Yahweh, I am the eternal God, unless you believe, you will die in your sins. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one Does that sound kind? Does that kind of narrowness sound kind? Does exclusiveness sound kind? I mean, hey, I get it. It doesn't sound really kind the way we use the word kind. But the Apostle Paul said love is patient and love is kind. And these things are true and there is a tension pulling on each other. And most all of us agree in that category. If you're a believer, you, these are the fundamentals of how you become a believer. We agree about these things. Where we, where we have trouble as a community is in this next passage. This next passage is in 1 Corinthians. It's back up six chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you find Paul saying this. Remember, Paul's not losing his mind here. I know it was a long time ago when we talked through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Maybe you forgot that was even in this book by now. But Paul doesn't lose his mind between 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Corinthians 13. He's not like having an out-of-body experience where he says love is patient and kind. And oops, I forgot what I wrote in 1 Corinthians 6. No, no, he does. He remembers this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says... Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Whether that sounds kind or not, love is still kind. And there are real moral boundaries in the household of God. These things get called out by Paul and identified. Because in this place, there are convictions about these things. The Bible actually acts as though you're going to agree with it that these things are wrong. And not acceptable. And love is still kind. We don't get to pick one or the other. Say, like, no, no, I, I want to be kind. And so my way of being kind is to take some of these off the list. Put them over in a different category. We'll be kind. Okay, they can be on the list and you can still be kind. Because they are on the list. Nothing we can do about that. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. That you were washed. 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of of God. Verse 13, it says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Right? These are ideas. Right? You have a man telling you by the Spirit that these things are wrong, and when you do them, you sin against your own body. Right? This is, these are convictions. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been brought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So in a place, in a community where we're called for that aroma that I described to be the household smell that is in this place, there are convictions. There is right and wrong in the kingdom of God. And and those things coexist. Things that get called out, nine sins are listed there. It's not the exhaustive nine sins of the New Testament. There are others. Paul just threw out some examples right there. Paul was calling out, that's a famous word today, right? Some things are being called out today, right? The world has decided, hey, we want our own list. We want to put some things on a list that we're calling out. And we're saying, hey, that that ain't all right. That ain't going to go no more. How, How men have abused power and mistreated women over the years. The inequality for women through the years. That ain't going no more. That's on our list. Racism. That's on our list. Anybody who interferes with somebody else's right to be an individual on the list, that won't be tolerated. That person wants to be whatever they want to be. Your job is to support them, agree with them, and come alongside them. And if you don't sound like you are, you're on the list. And that's about the whole list. It's interesting The only reason why any of those things have anything to do with God is because God created man in his own image. None of those things are directly about God. The world is not concerned whether it's thumb that's nose at God, tell God to go blankety blank, haven't given God the time of day, haven't honored him for one second, haven't found any moment of gratitude for the God who created everything who should be worshipped. That's not on the list. Sexual immorality is not on the list. It's on God's list. It's not on the world's list. So the world's got convictions. It's got strong convictions right now. There's a lot of fighting going on over convictions right now. The household of God has convictions. But I love the way Paul immediately chases this presentation with a dose of humility. He throws out a list and he immediately says, and such were some of you. Welcome to the club. Huh? Right? Nobody's allowed to read that list and go, yeah, look at those bottom dwellers. (laughs) Paul doesn't even finish the sentence before he says, "And, and such were some of you. See, how does how does love get patient? A little self-awareness is helpful in that regard. I'm aware of what I'm like. I'm aware of what I'm bringing into this relationship. I'm aware of what I bring to the body of Christ. 
and the issues that I have, I had previously, and the ones I struggle with now, because it's more than likely that these guys were struggling in these areas even now. Right? Isn't that the Christianity you've discovered? They've discovered the same one. As a matter of fact, they've modeled for us. These guys can get out of bounds in their lives. And so if they had a sexual immorality problem before they came to Christ, you think it's possible that every once in a while they're struggling in that category? If they were tempted to steal something before to make ends meet, do you think they have that problem now that they're in the body of Christ? And now they're walking with you, and you're engaging their issues, and the Bible turns around and said, hey, in here, love is patient. Patient when they're doing the wrong thing? Uh, Yeah. When they're on that list. It's patient, it's kind. It brings care into people's lives. Right? So, and, and we've developed a weird style. I just want to throw this out as, as an example. Right? Most all of us have been in the kingdom of God long enough to, to know people that we've walked with in our small groups and relationships. Their story is, you know, maybe they've come out of a drug background or alcohol abuse background. They get saved, they come into the kingdom. And, and some of those guys will continue to have a history of, of in and out of that stuff. In and out of that. Some guys get delivered and never touch it again. Some guys, every once in a while, they fall off the wagon. They go on a binge. They have trouble, etc. And And we engage them. We get around them in their struggle. We care for them. We love them. We pray for them. We intervene in their lives. We help them get out of that. We relate to them patiently. Some of them do it over and over and over again. Right? Can, can anybody give me an amen? You've walked with some people who tend 20 years later, these are still issues in their lives. And yet you patiently love them. What if you pulled some of the other stuff off of that list and said, what if somebody struggles in one of these categories? Do they come into a setting where there is a sense of humble care of walking with you when you struggle in an area that is hard for you for whatever reason to overcome. And here we go again with you. And you've done that again. And I have to engage that again. And we need to talk about that again. Hey, what if I picked this idea, husbands and wives picked it up and told you to take it home? Where you struggle with some character deficiency, the lack of thoughtfulness, you don't think right in categories that your spouse wishes you did. You continue to do things that are, that are harmful or hurtful between each other. Right? Doesn't this passage apply in that setting as well? Love is patient because such were some of you. Right? Just a few chapters earlier, love is patient. Right? I, I, don't you have an easier time being patient when you are mindful of the patience you've received? It does not take me long to get in the crosshairs of how patient God has been with me. So that when impatience is coming out of me, it gets advertised that that's not how God treats you, man. Love is patient, therefore love can be patient with each other, right? All right, put my foot on the gas pedal real quickly here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is Paul some 12, 13 years after he wrote 1 Corinthians. 
And Paul uses some language here. Some people have accused Paul of robbing perhaps some poetry in 1 Corinthians 13 for his descriptions of love. Paul uses these terminologies all over the place. They're talked in other passages, right? They were in the Colossians 2 passage we looked at a couple weeks ago. You'll find them here. So here we are, 12, 13 years later, Paul writing to Timothy, who's pastoring church, leading people, and he's going to say this. So, verse 22, flee youthful passions, all right? So we're we're still being told to run away from some things as a people. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind. Love is kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. All right, this is directed to the household of God, the people of God. This is another setting like 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is telling a church, avoid these things, pursue these things. Don't do this, live this way. All right, now what if you walk in the back door and you are new to this setting and you get around people who make you feel like you shouldn't be doing that, you should be doing this. I know sometimes that's really done poorly. I know that. It's communicated poorly. It lacks care in the way in which it's directed to us sometimes. But here's what I can't do. I can't tell anybody here, that's never going to happen anymore. The reason why I can't tell you it's never going to happen is because it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to have convictions. Convictions that get under your skin that you tenaciously hold on to, that you tenaciously hold on to them for your own life and for the sake of others that are in your life. So you are going to have a sense of stop that and pursue that. That's going to be, you're going to say that somehow with your life and with your words. And other people are going to get around you and they're going to hear that. And they, they may feel on the wrong end of that. They may feel judged by that. They may feel like I'm not accepted around here. Okay, we're going to need to work through that because the one thing that can happen is we can't make convictions go away. But we can manage them in a way that's loving and patient and kind and everything that's in 1 Corinthians 13. We can manage our convictions in a way that reflects what is also in this verse right here and in 1 Corinthians and this is why Paul's having this conversation, by the way. Right? We don't get this amazing love chapter because Paul just finished a marriage course. We get this because Paul's trying to help a local church be the church for the glory of God. So that's where this needs to go. But do you notice something here? I can't help but notice what's here in, in 2 Timothy. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know, they breed quarrels. I'm 56 years old. I have never seen people fight as much as I have in the last decade. 
People want to come to blows over everything. Road rage is unbelievable. I mean, I can just fail to turn a blinker on and somebody just F-bomb me up one side, down the other, pull ahead, cut off an 18-wheeler just to get in front of me and stare me down. Like, I don't even know you. What if you only know me? I'd probably give you a bunch of reasons not to like me. People want to fight about everything. So here you have the Apostle Paul telling believers, have nothing to do with these foolish, ignorant controversies. They breed quarrels. And you're going to have to do your own homework here and figure out, what are the controversies of our day that this passage might apply to? That all they do amongst the people of God is they breed quarrels among us. They breed quarrels. Spend our time quarreling about these things, these controversies. Unfortunately, I know this to be true. There's not a person in this room who can talk me out of this. The world teaches us how to think about controversies 24-7. All day long. Every post. Every news show. The first thing it's doing is breaking out, here's how you should think about this topic. That's what it's doing. Before it makes its points. It's posturing. It's angling. It's trying to get you to think a certain way about this thing. That's how they get listeners. That's how they get viewers. They traffic in controversy. Do you ever see? What's the first news story tonight on the evening news? What's going to be up? What do they tease with when they say, coming up tonight on the news, and they say this, and they say this. Pick me the, you know, the, the, the new breed of puppy that's out there. It's the lead story this week, you know? It's not not going to be about that. It's going to be about something controversial. Something that's going to get under your skin and going to either make you go, yeah, yeah. Glad somebody's saying that. Or, I can't believe they're saying that. Anybody here waiting for CNN and NPR and Fox News and MSNBC to actually solve any of these controversies? I remember I had an interesting conversation with Benjamin Watson when he was here years ago. And it was, there was a racially tense moment, and you know, like today, Benjamin was being sought out, and he was on CNN and Fox News and blah, blah, blah. And I remember he sat in my office and he said, look, he said, do you, do you honestly think any of these news com- uh, organizations want to solve racism? Because they don't want to solve any of this. It's their bread and butter. They don't want any of these controversies to go away. It's like a fire. If it goes out, you'll stop watching. They're done. The moment these quarrels go away, they got nobody to watch them. So, so recognize this if, I say if, you are going to pollute your mind with people who are going to tell you how to think. If you're going to do that, beware They want you to tune in tomorrow. They don't want to solve any of these problems. They just want to stir them up and stir them up and stir them up and tell you how to think about them. And you have a Bible that says, hey, wait, wait, wait. We're doing something here. We're advancing the kingdom of God for eternal purposes before God shuts the lights off on this place. Have nothing to do with these ignorant 
foolish controversies that only stir up quarrels. But instead, God's servant must be what? He must be kind. He must patiently endure evil. He must correct his opponents with gentleness. He might need to get off of some platform to do those things because some people's words are not kind words and they're not enduring any evil. They are outraged and they're not patient and gentle in what they have to say to each other. And in this household, that matters. That's a big deal when you walk into this place that we don't sound like, feel like a regurgitation of the world with its talking points, uh, this is our talking points. The Lord's servant is to be these things. Eric, go ahead and come back up here. Um, I I, I can't ignore this last part because this this revolutionizes how we're dealing with these these convictions and controversies. Listen to what Paul just naturally says by the Spirit after this. The Lord's servant must be something, correcting, blah, 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 God, God, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Where, where would it come from? God may perhaps convince somebody about the convictions that you have, that you are beating them over the head with and trying to align your next argument and your next angle to corner people. So that the only thing they conclude is that you're right and you work and work and work at it. Gathering ideas and more ideas. Whatever it is. Whether it's about some doctrine in the church or whether it's about what's going on in our world. It's like I want to gather my arguments and gather my arguments and when I'm not with people, I'm having arguments in my head. I'm I'm arguing with people who aren't even there because I know they're going to be there one day and I want to have my argument prepared. And we're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking. And then... Paul turns around and says, hey, you know, this is why you can afford to be kind and you can afford to be patient. You can afford to be gentle with people because God has to grant them repentance leading to knowledge. And there's another thing at work here. There's a snare and they're not coming to their senses and escaping from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Is there anybody in this room who thinks your convictions and your skillful presentation is the key to unlock the snare of the devil in their life? You think you're that good a debater? That you can take down the being who deceived Adam and Eve and put the whole world in darkness? Oh, but you got the right angle on this thing, this topic. You're going to set them free. This is where I don't get, I told you the guys weeks ago, my priorities in staring out at our world and the things that are going on, it would be number one, prayer. Number two, build an alternative community to the one that's broken down in this world. And number three, do justice in this fallen world. That would be my priorities. And I may be wrong on some of these. That's personally just where my priorities are. So when I stare at this verse, I'm pondering why. Why do we spend so much time arguing and so little time praying? Why are we so concerned about somebody's behavior in a certain category that we're going to approach and corner and convince and we create an atmosphere sometimes in the church? doesn't feel caring. doesn't feel patient. It feels pressing. It feels like if you don't fix you, I'm I'm so afraid of what will happen to me. If you don't raise your kids right, oh my gosh, all my kids will go bad. 
If you don't get your marriage right, oh my gosh, my marriage will go bad. Listen, we're a bunch of users. We're users. I'm, I'm using your success so that I can gain some sense that it'll go well with me. And so therefore, I gotta corner you. I gotta make sure you do it right. That's what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that, by the way. What if I believe that God could change people's hearts and bring a knowledge of these convictions that I have into their lives? And that he could grant a work that would allow them to go free from the devil. I could afford to be patient with you because I don't have to seal the deal by the time we walk out the building today. I could be kind. I could be gentle because there's another work taking place besides the force of my words. You guys get, I wish I had two hours to do this, but you guys get that this travels into your marriages, doesn't it? Because your spouse needs a revelation by the spirit of the knowledge that God brings and needs the ability that comes by the spirit to be set free from the ensnaring things of the devil. And so therefore, I don't have to win the argument with my wife. I can be kind and I can be patient and I can be gentle because I'm not the only one at work here. God's at work. But if I lose sight of that, it's all about me. It's all about my arguments. It's all about me saying the right thing. And when that becomes the environment that you live in, it's controlling, it's pressure, it's raised voices, it's intensity. And you walk into this place and love doesn't feel patient and kind. Can't afford to be. We got convictions. and We got to maintain them. We do have convictions and we do need to maintain them. But we're a community that builds with love. And you can't dismiss that. All right, one last thought here. I'm going to read it to you as we pray. Remember, 1 Corinthians 13 started this way. I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love. I'm a noisy gong, clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faiths as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Perhaps if Paul were writing to the church in America today, he would say something that sounds like this. If I win the COVID argument of the day, or if my views on conservatism and are impenetrable, or if my angles on race are spot on, or if my convictions about the centrality of the family are completely biblical, or if my opinions on alcohol or entertainment are the right ones, but I have not love. I am nothing. Let's stand up together. Lord, I thank you as I know we all thank you 
for leading us into the knowledge of the truth. At some point, Lord, you graciously allowed us to see convictions, beliefs, truth. That truth made us aware of our need for salvation. That truth brought us to a Savior who exclusively and only could heal our relationship with you. That revelation by the Spirit that leads us into the knowledge of who you are, it also pulls on our lives. It undoes the hold of sin, the operation of evil inside of us, patterns and decisions, sinful practices and passions. It launches us towards something else, pursuits that are righteous and rewarding, good God, I thank you that in this place there are such things as those truths and those convictions. And God, we don't ever want those to go away. For obviously, if we did not have them, we would be lost in this world. And we would not know you. So we must be a people with convictions. But we must be more than just a people with convictions. We must love one another. So God, today, just one main word. Love is patient. God, I don't have to think too far, and I know all around the room here, Lord, we are pondering our own hearts and our own lives, our own practices, our own relationships. Lord, does does patience emerge from my life? Do the people who have to walk with me, relate to me, know me, do they experience that kind of love? Patience. And Lord, we glanced at a bunch of reasons why we can be patient. Lord, the biggest one is because you are love and you are patient. Oh, so patient. Lord, as we see in this chapter, you are simply calling us to love one another even as I have loved you. Love is patient. Would you help us, Lord? We're building something here. We're we're building a community that the brokenness of this world can find life in, can find joy in. Lord, may it be that they are among us and they see patience and kindness in our midst. And overwhelming, Lord, Lord, what a contrast. Don't hear patience in our world. I don't see much kindness in our world. What might they experience if they came into a place that features patience and kindness? How powerful might that be? How welcomed might our convictions be for a people who would say they were treated patiently and kindly? 
So, Father, we thank you for these powerful words, even as few as they are in the context of 1 Corinthians, all that you've written there. You want a people, and we want to be that people, Lord. Rescue us from the ditches that we've wandered into. Work in us a knowledge and a revelation that compels our hearts. Lord, this isn't just something we shame from the outside. Can't do that. It is your life in us welling up from inside of us. You who are love are patient and kind. Lord, let that be our story. Let that be Lakeview Christian Center for as far as the eye can see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys at home. Miss you. Come join us soon. If you've got kids, you can bring them. If you can keep them in here, great. If not, you can bring them up into room 200 and hang with them up there during the service and watch with us there. But we hope to see you next week. Love you guys. Thank you guys for being here.